Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. Lahul mulk wa lahul hamd yuhyi wa yumit wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir. Wa bi yadihi al-khair. Wa bi yadihi al-khair wa huwa ar-rahmanirrahim. استغفرك ربي وأتوب إليك إنك أنت التواب الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بك أنت قيوم السماوات والأرض وما بينهما وما فيهن ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن اتبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين The greatest blessing in a world that is often without a rudder without direction and without an anchor is exactly to find such an anchor. To have the type of relationship, the kind of relationship that connects you intimately and innately and intuitively with your maker. The one who gives meaning to your existence. To know in the deepest sense of your being that you came from somewhere and you will return to somewhere and that this world has not only a maker but has ultimately someone in charge. And that, that Lord who is in charge of this world is responsible for achieving ultimate justice. That when all is said and done, nothing escapes accountability and nothing will remain unaddressed and that all actions and all words will have consequences. At the core of our being must be anchored this realization, this faith, this belief because everything else are simply details. There's a lot that human beings busy, busy themselves with and distract themselves with from the essential and core and most fundamental issue 
and that is they are from God and to God they will return. The implications of Tawheed are many. But today, inshallah, I want to elaborate upon something that I've said before and I've said many times. That Tawheed, in the sense of monotheism, the realization that this existence has a maker, has an owner, has someone responsible for it, that is not the product of chance, it's not the product of some formulaic um, mechanical process of the result of laws of physics, that this maker who created the universe in which we dwell is not in turn subject to the laws of human beings. Because if the maker is subject to the laws of human beings, that poses enormous problems among them if that maker is like human beings, then that maker is subject to error, subject to misjudgment, subject to oversight. Moreover, that this maker can play favorites in a tribal and a nationalistic fashion. Moreover, that this maker who is vulnerable to all the vulnerabilities that human beings are subject to, this maker then can only, can, can be evaluated within the laws of causation in our universe, and that creates a whole host of problems. The one God, which is the core of Tawheed, can have no partners precisely because it is a God who is not subject to the laws of human beings and is not subject to the laws of physics and not subject to the laws of time and space and not subject to the logic of human beings, the logic of physics and mathematics. And as I said before, you only get that with Islam. Islam is the only religion that exists on the face of this earth 
that is firmly anchored in the theology of Tawheed. That when you say, I surrender my will to the will of the owner of this universe, you know that everything that happens anywhere on the face of this earth or in the universe is in with the control and sovereignty of God. And not only that, but that God knows of it and is aware of everything that unfolds. And from this comes your strength and from this comes your sense of being. And as I said before, monotheism is strong in the Jewish faith, but Judaism has gone through various trials and tribulations in history that has fitted the Jewish faith for the Israelite people as an ethnic and racial and nationalistic group. And the lines between what is Israelite and what is Judaism has been significantly blared. Judaism, the, the definition of Judaism has become intimately interlinked with the historical experience of the Israelite people in the destruction of the first temple and the second temple and in the Exodus and in the Babylonian saga and in the various historical sagas of the Israelite people. And that has been intimately interconnected with all of Jewish theology about the one and only God. Christianity is a different bargaining. And to me, it is rather ironic or even a bit puzzling that Christianity as it is today is the biggest Abrahamic faith on the face of the earth, the biggest in numbers, and that Christianity as it is today because of the historical experience which we live in often influences the way we think of the one and only God and that what that relationship with the one and only God means. 
What is paradoxical about that is the nature of the Christian faith itself. We all know that the Ten Commandments of Musa salam, Moses, the very first commandment, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is worship no God but God. The very first commandment is La ilaha illallah. The irony is that although the very first commandment is there is no God but God, Jesus doesn't unfold upon the scene until centuries later. And when Jesus does unfold, the first commandment becomes in serious trouble. How could Jesus, how could Moses, how could the entire Israelite faith and the Abrahamic faith from the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, to the Prophet Musa السلام, to all the prophets up until the time of Jesus come and not tell us that embedded within the first commandment of worship no god but God, that embedded within that is this jaw-dropping idea that God, in fact, is a God of three essences that are co-equal and co-eternal and co-substantial, co-equal, co-eternal, and co-substantial. And, and this, is, this is core to the Christian faith. That there are three, all of them eternal, all of them equal, all of them of equal substance. But Ibrahim doesn't tell us that. And Musa doesn't tell us that, and in fact, none of the prophets tell us that. Even Jesus himself doesn't tell us that. Jesus doesn't tell us about the co-equal, co-eternal, and co-substantial essences of God. But rather, after dying and being resurrected, according to Christian belief, who 
tells us that, according to Christian belief, the disciples of Jesus. Well, then we have a problem. Who is the first teacher of the gospel and the first gospel to be written? And who wrote the majority of the New Testament? Again, accepting Christian belief. It is Paul. But Paul never met Jesus. Paul never met Jesus. Paul used to be a Jew who persecuted Christians until he says that on the way to Damascus, he has a vision in which Jesus appears to him, and Jesus then teaches him what needs to be taught. You have to believe that Paul that had this vision, and that this vision wasn't from something demonic or Paul's own imagination or whatever thing else, but in fact that this was a true revelation, i.e. that Paul was some type of prophet. And the first to write the Bible was in fact Paul, who again never met Jesus. Luke was a student of Paul. All the other Gospels were written after Paul did his own writing, and all the other Gospels copied from Paul. Why is this important for us as Muslims to know? Because of the, the khutbah I gave yes, uh, last week. People, Muslims, you have to be aware that the biggest threat posed to the secular ideal in the United States is the mixing of religion and state and the mixing of religion and state in the United States takes place primarily through the vehicle of evangelical Christianity. This hungry, thirsty Christianity that works fervently to colonize the world. Why is this important? Because we are living a colonial moment in which religion and politics mix with their main target being Muslims. And the more Muslims know, the more Muslims will be able to raise their head in pride 
knowing who they are. So, all the Gospels were influenced by Paul and his teaching of the message of Christ. These are historical facts. These are not opinions. But there's a problem. We don't know who the authors of the Gospels are. We don't know who wrote John, Matthew, Luke. The identity of the writers of these Gospels are unknown. So if someone comes and tells you that God said in the beginning was the word, well, actually, it's the author of the gospel who said. And who is the author of the gospel? John, Matthew, Luke. We don't know. And they were not written. We, they were not written until at least 90 to 100 years after the death of Jesus. The first writing to be made was that of Paul's through the scribes that of Paul. But all the other Gospels are then influenced by Paul and written later than Paul. But even then, but even then, you don't find the idea of the Trinity in the Gospels clearly and firmly. As I mentioned before, throughout the Gospels, and even in the writings of Paul, the, 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 the letters that Paul wrote, like Cornelians and so on and so forth, Jesus is constantly saying, the Father who sent me, and I've quoted these in previous Cosmos, the Father who sent me, the Father who sent me. And as I've quoted before, Jesus, he says that it is not me who revives the dead, but God, my Father, who revives the dead. Now, pause for a second, and why is this so significant? Because in truth, visit any church at any day of worship, and you will find that especially in evangelical Christians, but evangelical churches, but churches beyond that. There is hardly any talk about God. Who do they talk about? In church after church after church, week after week after week. They talk about Jesus Christ as God. So there is rarely any talk about the Father. But there are all types of talk about Jesus Christ. So 
it is fair to say that Christians know far more and connect far more to Jesus Christ than the Father of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ constantly tells us, the Father who sent me, and says, the Father who sent me is greater than I am, but they always talk about Jesus Christ and not the Father. So what happens to the first commandment? But that's not even what I'm really focusing on today. As I said, that the Bible itself doesn't give us a clear understanding of either God the Father or God the Son, leave alone the Holy Ghost. Very much unlike the Quran. So, for instance, So, for instance, in Mark, listen to Mark ten eighteen, chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus is talking to the people he's engaged with, and Jesus said, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Jesus said, why do you call me good? There is no one who is good except the one God. Now, that's consistent with Tawheed. But what happened to the three essences and the co-substantial and the co-eternal? You don't call me good because there's no one good except the one God. In fact, Jesus, even in the Bible that reached us, and mind you, Gospels, we have, we, what reached us are many manuscripts, and no two manuscripts of the Bible agree with each other. So the Bible that you have, that we have printed, reflects the choices made through various historical institutions. But even that, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 57, this is when Jesus is engaging people and Jesus says to them, they were confused about Jesus. Who are you? What are you saying? You call yourself Son of God, you call sometimes, but most of the time you call yourself Son of Man. 
And so they were perplexed. Again, this is Matthew chapter 13, 57. And they were perplexed about him, about Jesus. And Jesus said to them, No prophet is mocked except in his own city and is in, in his own house. When he says no prophet is mocked, he's referring to himself. So here, Jesus seems to be saying, I am, I am a prophet. In John, Seventeen, chapter seventeen. Jesus, as Jesus often does, talks to God, and Jesus says to God. Jesus spoke these things, and then he lifted up his eyes to the heaven and said, Oh, my father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. And this is chapter seven, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 3. And, and Jesus said, and this, is, and this is life eternal, and, they might, and that they might know thee that thou art the only true God, even the one who sent Jesus. Jesus is speaking to God and saying, so that they may glorify you, the one and only true God who sent Jesus. I could go on in example after example after example after example. But I have to make choices with the interest of time. We find that Jesus, and for instance, in Cornelius, Cornelius 1, chapter 15, verse 24, Jesus reminds his followers that Jesus himself is subject to the one and only God. In John chapter 15, verse 28, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I am. What are you talking about? The Father is greater than I am. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus tells his followers, only the Father knows the final hour. I don't know when it's going to occur. Sometimes, this message blows your mind by how powerful it is drawn and structured, how powerfully it's drawn and structured in the Bible itself. Take, for example, Luke. 
In Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Sorry. We have so many markers that I often lose myself. Chapter 22, verse 42. Listen to, to this and draw an image in your mind. This is Jesus before the crucifixion. When Jesus goes with his disciples before he is outed, to the Romans who are going to arrest him. So listen to this from Luke chapter 22, verse 42. And Jesus withdrew from them, the disciples, about the distance of a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, O oh, Father, O oh, Father, if thou wilt, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but as thy will be done. What is this cup? Let this trial and tribulation, this fitna, this asthma, this, 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 the, the fact that the Romans are looking for him. So he is worried about what's going to happen. And he says, O oh, Father, let this cup Pass from me, but I know it is not my will, it is your will. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. And he, Jesus, was in fear and prayed earnestly. And his sweat became like drops of blood. And he fell down upon the ground. And then he rose up from his prayer and came to his disciples and found them, found them sleeping because of distress. And he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray that you may enter into temptation. So Jesus is worried about the trial and the possible execution that is coming. And he's praying fervently to God. Please let this pass. So God sends an angel to comfort Jesus. And Jesus continues to pray and sweats, drops of sweat fall. And he wakes up the disciples to pray. Hardly the actions of a God. It is the actions of a man not wanting to be crucified not someone who is eager to die for our sins, but someone who's praying to God and who doesn't know what's going to happen to him and praying to God, please let this pass. And God sends an angel to comfort him, according to Luke, because in other Bibles, there is no angel that comforted him. I could go on and on and on 
So when young Muslims come to me and say, we have a fitna, and that is, I am in doubt. I say, what are you in doubt about? If they say, I am in doubt that God exists, that's a different philosophical discussion. And that can be an intense philosophical discussion. But the, when they come to me and say, I am in doubt because I have encountered the colonial project and read the garbage that is attributed to Muslims that supposedly converted to Christianity, I say to them the first question, do you actually know what Christianity is? Do you even understand? Have you even read the Bible? Don't ask me, don't have doubts about Islam, and because you have doubts about Islam, then assume, as the evangelicals do with you, that Christianity must be right. Because my question is, what, which Christianity? To that point, young kids often say, well, the evangelicals that I've been talking to are non-denominational. And I'll tell you, I tell them immediately, do you know what non-denominational means? It means that we can't figure out the hard questions, so we'll just pretend they don't exist. Why? What are the Christian denominations about? They're about whether Jesus is equal to God, whether Jesus is lesser than God, whether Jesus is was actually made by God or was never made by God. So when you say non-denominational, that means you just pretend that all the tough questions, when the Bible repeatedly says that this is Jesus who is sent by God, who prayed to God, who doesn't know when the final hour is, who doesn't know what's going to happen to him, who begs to God, please don't, don't let them harm me. Leave alone when Jesus is supposedly crucified. Jesus says, Father, why have you forsaken me? That non-denominational means we're not going to talk about any of these tough questions. And you idiot Muslim, we're going to pretend that they don't even exist. And we're going to know, use the fact that as a Muslim, you know absolutely nothing about us. This is the way colonialism has always worked. Colonialism pretends that the natives know nothing about the culture and the tensions and the paradoxes and the dichotomies and the dialectics of the colonizer colonizing culture. And because you know nothing about us, we can talk down to you and point our fingers at your fault without ever 
without knowing that you will never return the gaze upon us. Look at the way British culture that was thoroughly sexist and patriarchal spoke about Muslim women in Egypt, Syria, Palestine, Algeria, every colonized Muslim country. At a time that, that women in Europe didn't have the right to vote or own property, colonialism was pointing the finger at Muslims and, and Islam and telling them you are inferior because you oppress your women. Even invented the mythology of the harem to live out their own erotic dreams, projecting them to, to Islam and and implanting the sense of inferiority and loneliness in Muslim psychology. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على محمد خاتم النبيين وعلى آله وأصحابه وانتبعوا بإحسان إلى يوم الدين I tell these Muslims young Muslims Before you tell me this evangelical or that evangelical has put doubt in your heart, get an education. Because not only does the text of the Bible as it exists in printed form create an enormous amount of tensions within the idea of one and only God. But we have an enormous problem in the manuscripts and the translations of the Bible. First, let's be very clear. Jesus often refers to himself as the son of man. But references in the Bible to the son of such and such, Ibn Kaza, Bin Kaza, Bin Bin Kaza, Bin Kaza, is a common reference throughout the biblical text and it's consistent with the way Aramaic and Hebrew was spoken. Just because Jesus is referred to as son of God doesn't mean anything because the Bible refers to human beings as the sons of God and Moses, Moses is referred to as the son of God and various prophets throughout the Bible are referred to as the Son of God. It's a term of endearment. 
It's like when I tell you, you are my son, Anta Ibni. It doesn't mean that you're actually my son. So that part is easily addressed. If, the, if people actually read the Bible, they would immediately recognize that the reference of son of this and son of that is very common. But there is something even more significant that most people don't know about. And that is the use of the word Rabb. Rabb. In the Bible. When Jesus talks about God, Jesus refers to God as the Father. And the Father is greater than I am. But often Jesus is referred to as Rab. Here's an example. In John chapter 1, verse 38, take Take this example. Verse 38, And Jesus turned around and said, sorry, Jesus turned around and saw them following him, and he said to them, What do you want? They, the people following Jesus, said, They said to him, Rab, where do you live? Rab here, is the same word from which you find in Hebrew rabbi, which means teacher. Teacher, where do you live? But here is the problem. Here is the problem. In John 1 verse 38, Rob is actually translated as teacher. But everywhere else where the word Rab is mentioned in reference to Jesus Christ, how is it translated in the English Bible? Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. So, for example, when we go... Here is an example of where the Hebrew talks about clearly drub in reference to Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is translated into Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, no. I'll, I apologize for the shuffling, but it's inevitable. Look, uh, here's Corinthians 1, 
chapter 8, verse 6, to us there is only, there is one God, the Father, from whom comes everything and by whom we live. So far, so good. For us, there is what? One God, the Father, from whom comes everything and by whom we live. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. Now here, the Hebrew says, and one Rab, one teacher, at the time of the prophet, Jesus, the prophet is a teacher. So when it was translated to English, although in John, they did translate it correctly as teacher, in Cornelians, for example, it was translated as Lord Jesus Christ. Completely, radically altering the meaning. So many, again, interests of time. I wish time wasn't such a factor, but Take, yeah, take this one. This is in Cornelians 1, chapter 6, verse 14. And as God has raised our Lord, so will raise us also by his own power. Now here, as God has raised our Rob, if it's a teacher, it's not a problem. If it's Lord, God has raised our Lord, then how can that Lord be co-equal and co-substantial? It all turns on the word Rab. If you translate it as Lord, you get. And as God has raised our Lord, so will raise us also by his own power. But if you translate it as teacher, our example, our exemplar, our hadi. You get a radically altered text. One final thing. Inshallah, leaves other things to other times, inshallah. Although I don't want to bore you so early. I want to give you another example of what happens in translations. Take Philippians, Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 6. Here is the English. Reason this within you, which Jesus Christ also reasoned. It's telling you, think like Jesus Christ. Now, so what is it? 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So the English tells us Jesus Christ being in the form of God did not consider it to be robbery to be equal with God. Here is Here is the original Arabic is, is the closest, and some of you know Arabic. So, Lam Yahsab Khilsa and Yakuna Muadilan Lilla. The Arabic is very close to the Hebrew, which says, Lam Yahsab Khilsa and Yakuna Muadilan Lilla. If you understood the Arabic, the Arabic is saying that Jesus did not make the error of thinking that he is equal to God. The English is translated, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal to God. Exactly the opposite meaning. The Hebrew, the Aramaic, and even the Arabic, because I checked the Arabic Bibles, tell you that Jesus didn't dare think he's equal to God. The English Bibles, and I've checked every translation that I could put my hands on, translated exactly the opposite. What is my point in all of this? No one can deny that we are going to go, we are going through a period of intense fitna. Michael Pence, Mike Pence, just yesterday was saying, was talking about how the US has helped define Islam to combat fanaticism and radicalism. The Islam that they want to exist is a hesitant, restless, insecure Islam. It is not just that they are fighting the theology of ISIS. Watch the Egyptian or Emirati or even Moroccan. There was some guy on Algerian TV who was saying doing Hajj to Mecca is a pagan practice. Islam is coming under massive onslaught, but the part that I've noticed is the role of evangelicals like Michael Pence and Bannon and yes, Trump, in throwing away our doctrine of separation and church and straight and trying to sneak in Christianity, especially among Muslims in the West. Your children. And mine. Especially among Muslims in the West.
The idea is if we Christianize them, at least if they're not good Muslims, at least if they're not sure, confident Muslims, then we don't have to worry about their culture. It's a racist project. It's a racist project. It's a colonial project. The battleground is over the Muslim intellect. But as I try to demonstrate time and time again, the answer is knowledge, serious knowledge. Because if you have knowledge, you can easily say, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't talk to me about Jesus Christ when you, in fact, haven't, you're not even sure of your own doctrine because your doctrine doesn't make sense. The first commandment, La ilaha illallah, is preserved in a pristine form only with Islam. So Muslims, be aware of that. And say, La ilaha illallah, because to worship Jesus Christ is a fool's errand. Jesus Christ himself was worshiping the one and only God. And praying to that one and only God when he confronted hardship. You go and you pray and pray to Jesus Christ, you are praying to a Hollywood racist image. The, the, the handsome, attractive man that has been portrayed in numerous Hollywood movies of who Jesus Christ was, someone you want to date, not someone you want to worship. Raise your head, know the realities of life, and know that this historical moment shall pass. But you have to try your best to go through it unscathed and protect your children as much as you can so that they, in turn, will be unscathed. And your mission is to support knowledge so that Muslims can stand on their own feet and return the gaze and say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, we know who we are and we are proud of it because it is the truth. Allahumma afu'anna, Allahumma afu'anna, Allahumma arhamna, Allahumma hadina li akraba min haza rashida. Allah forgive our sins, Allah bless our past, draw us, draw us closer to you. And make your love grow in our hearts, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Salli wa sallim wa barik ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa akhir salat.